is Ella Kate Marisi, and you are listening to More Hi Than everyone. Child's Play Welcome back with your host, Play my mommy, this is your host, Marisi, and my aunt We're Nicole so happy Sergeant. You came back. Today is a special day. You have us therapists, both. Therapists and me. most importantly, Today, sometimes we interview guests and man, can they today talk. we're coming uh, together so as the host and, and the relax guests. And we're doing that for a special reason. We hope you enjoy the show. We have been working with a company called MedBridge Education for years now. They're a wonderful um, company out of Seattle, Washington that provides continuing education and home exercise support for therapists. And we've done some courses with them and we recently updated one of our courses um, called Roadblocks to Natural Development. This course centers around things that happen either environmentally or maybe misdiagnoses or conditions that get in the way of a child just typically developing and that are frequently not noticed um, or noticed late or undertreated. And so we've already highlighted some of those roadblocks in previous podcasts, but we're going to expand on that today. And in this podcast, we're going to talk about vision and hearing and how vision and hearing um, can affect early development and, and just kind of what you should be watching for if you're a parent or a therapist. Um, and so this is just a little bit of a teaser into some information that you'll find in the course if you're a therapist. And it certainly is enough information if you're a parent who has concerns with your child's vision or hearing. Um, so thank you for being here. And hi, Lacey, how are you? Hi, Nicole. I'm great. Um, so the first uh, thing we're going to talk about today is vision loss. And when that goes undetected early on, how that impacts a child's development. So Nicole, can you answer that for us? Just how that undetected vision loss can impact the development of the child? Absolutely. So um, first, I think it's important to know that vision loss is not uncommon. Um, and, and I think that people don't realize how common it is. So we included this as a roadblock because 19 million children in the world have some sort of impaired vision. Um, that breaks down to close to 1.4 million children are actually blind. Um, 30 to 40% of children with visual impairments have CVI. Um, or cerebral vision impairment, um, which we detail and talk about in the in the course. Um, so a CVI diagnosis is actually common in 10.5% 10, 10 of all children with developmental disabilities. So we know particularly um, research shows us that children that are at risk of vision impairment and CVI particularly are premature infants that have had interventricular hemorrhages, children who have had seizures, um, infants that were born before 32 weeks gestation. Um, with that includes kids who have had interventricular hemorrhages, seizures, um, if maternal smoking has been present during the pregnancy, children who have spent extended time in the NICU or on mechanical ventilation. So, in summary, kind of if, if you have a, a kid with a medical risk, you definitely want to be looking to make sure that a vision impairment isn't common, but also, or isn't present, but also children with 
vision impairments don't have to have a medical risk because there are children who just sort of have a loss. So the first thing I think is important to know is um, that it's common, that it's, it, it is, it isn't uncommon. And it's something that as therapists, if you're a therapist looking at a child, you should always consider, um, and always screen, um, when you're looking at children. So what would kind of, what would you be looking at? Well, early on, you know, development, visual development progresses like all other development. So we know that infants see black, white, and red geometric shapes early on. Um, We think they don't see pastel colors until six to nine-ish months. Um, We know that they see uh, closer up before they see farther away. So there is some natural development of vision. So, you know, if you have a two-month-old and they're not recognizing a pastel toy across the room, that's not necessarily something to be worried about. But Infants should notice their parents' faces within the first few weeks. You should notice them staring at contrasted images, sometimes like a ceiling fan or the blinds. Um, And their vision should progress. So over time, you should notice a baby that notices more things and starts reaching for them. And if those things aren't present, it's definitely, you know, a cause to to ask for an evaluation. we know that if, if, you know, children eventually their eyes don't track to follow something, um, that is a concern. If one eye moves separately from the other, that is a concern. And in general, when development is overall delayed, we should be looking at vision because early development is very vision motivated. Kids move because they see something that they want to get to. So if their motor development um, isn't, or their social development isn't progressing as you think it is, then definitely consider their vision and how that's affecting them. So what, what should parents, families do if they are suspecting that their baby um, has vision loss or they see some of these signs at home? What's the next step for them? Right. Well, when we were doing our research for this course, one thing that that even, you know, I've been a PT for 20 years and vision is one of the, the areas that really gets me excited. And I didn't know this, that, um, the recommendation from, um, I think it's the ophthalmologist association is that children get a, um, evaluation by an optometrist or an ophthalmologist between the ages of six and 12 months. Um, that was not shared with me by my pediatrician. Now, of course, my children are older, so that might be more common now from pediatricians. And the point of that is, is that the structural elements of the eye, the lens, the optic nerve, the cornea, those are structurally examined by a doctor to make sure that there's no problems with that. Obviously an infant that little is not going to be able to read an eye chart. Um, but whether you have a concern or not, that is, that is the recommendation, um, is that they have their eyes structurally examined in that age range. Um, typically children can't read, um, you know, a chart, an eye chart until between three or four. So that's typically when acuity, um, or, you know, their whether they're 20, 40, 20, 60, how well they see close up, how well they see far away is measured. And 
in the United States, that typically happens at the doctor's office or um, at a preschool screening. Um, but if you have concerns about your child's vision, absolutely you should seek that out prior to those benchmarks. So um, depending on where you live would and the services available are where you would um, would dictate where would you would go. So um, a developmental optometrist is always a good suggestion. Talk to your pediatrician about that and see if they suggest that um, and where there is one in your area. Depending where you are, you might have to drive a little bit for that. But developmental optometrists take a further deep at fun deep dive into functional vision. So that means, you know, they're going to look at the structure of your child's eye, but they're also going to look at things like, do they, do they prefer lighted toys in a dark room or are they able to see toys that aren't lighted in an illuminated room? Um, when do they notice things that come in from their different visual fields? So when do they first notice things that come in from the sides of their head from over top their head, what's their peripheral vision like below? Um, you know, do they notice objects that are held at different distances from them? Do they notice objects that are on a solid background or a pattern background where the environment is more visually complex? So a lot of times you get a more detailed look at how a child is interacting with their world with the developmental optometrist. Um, in some programs, so Lacey and I both work for early intervention in West Virginia, and in our state, we contract with vision specialists. So if we have a concern or if a parent has a concern, they can refer to early intervention in our state and request a vision evaluation. And those vision specialists are really, really helpful. Um, they help families and they help therapists. I've learned a lot about vision from the vision therapist that I've had the benefit of working with through the years. And they will do detailed vision evaluations in the home, which is very helpful because we know children from zero to three, you know, respond best in their natural environment. So we can see how they're seeing things that are in their actual world. Um, so early intervention is also a place to look depending on where you live. And, and when you make the referral, let them know that you have concerns with vision. Good. So thank you for that, Nicole, kind of just an overview of how vision loss might look in a young child, um, the importance of catching that early and how to do that, how to, you know, what signs to look for at home and how to follow up um, to see if that is. A I think it's yeah, I think it's important to say too, you know, if a parent or a pediatrician or an early intervention team finds it early, depending on what the diagnosis is, and we talk about this in the course, we highlight some key diagnoses and talk about, you know, timelines for when they should be treated or referred. And the treatment for some things, you know, maybe surgery, maybe patching, but also it's targeted play and intervention. So depending on the diagnoses, sometimes the materials you're using or the activities you're doing can improve vision. And a lot of times for many vision diagnoses, the window for improvement for them is in the first few years where that brain is still highly plastic and able to make neurologic changes. So that's why it's important to, even if you doubt it, um, 
ask for a referral, ask for an evaluation, ask for support early versus late, because it's better to be wrong and, and to think that you, you know, feel like something's going on with vision than to miss that window. Um, you know, that's what I always tell parents. I might be wrong in asking that we get this referral, but I'd rather be wrong on asking for the referral than wrong on missing the diagnosis because it's so closely tied to development that we just, we don't want to miss that chance to make that change. Um, so definitely don't delay. And I just wanted to say one other thing. Um, we do have um, with our course, there's some resources with including a vision screening in your um assessment, you know, how to screen for vision, what questions, detailed questions to ask during your interview with parents that will give you some of those clues of when you should refer and when you shouldn't. Right. And just to back up for a second, um, I think most early intervention providers, I know lots of speech therapists feel this way. The wait and see approach is never a good idea. Um, no. I know. And sometimes that's what's recommended to us by people that we trust in our, in our child's life. Sometimes uh, we like that idea because we are fearful of what an evaluation might reveal to us about our child, but wait and see if there is something going on that can be helped, something that can be diagnosed so that intervention can be more specific to the child and more helpful to the family. That's what we want. Because if we wait and see the delay just grows while we wait. And then the child is more behind in the end. If, if there is something that we're missing. So, um, we talked about so many resources about, about vision. I mean, you know, uh, we're going to talk in another podcast about media and screens, but I will say, you know, one benefit of technology is vision support. And there are so many um, opportunities for media support for children with vision loss and, or, you know, vision impairment. And so it's, there's, there's, the world is really a lot more open to kids with vision impairment than it used to be. And so, yeah, don't delay if you think something's going on. Right. And I think too, with, <clears throat> excuse me, vision and hearing, they aren't always something that is visible from the outside, right? You, the, the child's eyes look completely like every other child's eyes. The child's ears appear to be just like every, you know, they're, they're internal diagnoses that aren't visible again from the outside. So um, just another reason to always, always get it checked out. Don't wait and see. Cause we want to it. And, you know, I think, I think that I think you'd agree with me. We've talked about this. These diagnoses are certainly something that we were taught in school as therapists to consider, but through our years of practice, we felt how common they are. And we've seen the difference in functional outcome for kids if they're recognized and addressed early. And so, you know, if you're a new therapist, don't, don't be scared to ask questions. Don't be scared to ask for a referral. And absolutely, if you can sit in on those evaluations, because so much can be gained by observing a functional vision evaluation. <clears throat> absolutely. Okay. So we're going to move on to hearing, which also is one of those um, diagnoses that if it goes undetected can really impact the child and their family. So Hearing loss is um, pretty common, more common than most people realize in little ones. And the first line of defense is most newborns receive um, a hearing screening before they even leave the hospital. And um, one to two out of every, or I'm sorry, 
uh, yeah, between one and two out of every 1,000 babies born in the U.S. Um, that are screened are identified as having a hearing loss. Um, the CDC reports it as 1.7 babies, but that's hard to, to imagine, 1.7 babies. But, yeah. yeah, so, um, and, and the Centers for Disease Control um, reported in 2017 that 98% of newborns receive that universal hearing screening, which is a great statistic. And it, it varies from hospital to hospital, birthing center to birthing center. Most places though, screen every baby that is born in their facility. Some have a little different rule. They only screen up to a certain number per year. So it, as a, as a parent of a newborn, ask, make sure that hearing screening happens. And it's really best if it happens before you leave the hospital so that you know and can, you know, I say you can check that off your, off your list of worries, hopefully, if it's not identified, if your baby's not identified as, as having a hearing loss. And um, some, some babies fail that initial screening. Um, about two out of every 100 babies fail that initial screening. And that's just because usually because they still have some fluid in the, in the ear canal from the birthing process. Um, so, you know, they follow that up with a second screening, typically before they leave the hospital again, and then they pass that second screening. So, um, you know, it's not uncommon for babies. And also sometimes it's noisy in the room when they're giving them that, that hearing screening. So they might fail for that reason too. And the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Early Hearing Detection Intervention Program, they recommend what's called a one, three, six rule. And what that means is they want every baby to have their hearing screened by one month of age. They want that baby to be identified or diagnosed with that hearing loss if they fail that screening by three months of age. And then they want that baby enrolled in early intervention services or getting therapy, getting help from a professional by six months of age. So um, this rule is critical because we want to um, help these babies and give them access to early amp amplification as soon as possible. And by amplification, I mean, the hearing aid, or possibly if the hearing aid isn't helpful to the baby, get them, you know, hooked up with um, doctors that perform cochlear implants, which is a surgery where they um, put something inside the baby's head to help them access sound. Because, you know, hearing is one of those five major senses. It's one of those ways, vision included, that our bodies take information in from the world around us. This is how children learn through their senses. So if we cut one of those senses off, they're missing so much in these early years of development, and it really can impact them for a lifetime. So again, the importance of getting your baby screened, getting them identified early, following up as soon as you can, and then getting them access to language and their hearing world as soon as you can, if it's possible. That's good info. Um, what, do, what do you typically see? Let's, let's say a baby passes their hearing screen in the, in the nursery, but then they come home and there's some concerns. What parents might, might, what might parents be seeing if, if there's potential hearing concerns? Okay, make a good point. And I meant to touch on that. So thank you for reminding me because I did it. So, you know, hearing is a process, right? There's, there's different stages of hearing sound enters the ear through the ear canal. If something is blocking the ear canal or, you know, for lack of a better word, congesting the ear canal, that sound doesn't get in. So that's where the problem lies. Maybe the sound gets in through the ear canal, but then it doesn't get the, the eardrum or tympanic membrane, membrane doesn't move like it should. It doesn't vibrate like it should. So that, that sound is dampened and then it doesn't 
the child doesn't perceive it as it's meant to be. Maybe there's trouble in the, in the middle ear space, there's fluid, which is very common in young ones who suffer from ear infections or maybe just like allergies or, you know, just are kind of gunky kids. And they often will carry that fluid in their middle ear that interrupts that sound being brought into the ear. Maybe there's difficulty even beyond that, um, involving the tympanic membrane, which is the, the organ inside of our ear that changes that sound wave into an electrical impulse, which then sends it down our auditory nerve. And the, maybe there's an issue with the auditory nerve that when that's those electrical impulses travel to the brain, they aren't perceived as they're meant to be perceived because there's a breakdown at the auditory nerve. So hearing is a complex process. And, and again, there's many stages of how that sound gets from our ear up to our brain to be perceived. And at any point in that process, if there's, if there's a breakdown, then it's impacted. It's not the same as you and I are hearing. It's very, I mean, the body's just amazing. Can we just it say is. that? But, um, Yes. Vision, you know, vision's the same way. Like when you were saying that I was thinking, well, same thing with vision. Does your lens capture it? Does your optic nerve transport it? Does your brain recognize it? You know, you can check out as having, you know, a lens that's fine, but if there's a problem further down that passageway, that's what happens. And they're very, they're very similar. Your vision and your hearing are very similar in how they operate. Um, which is why it's important to get children in the hands of specialists. But do you typically, so I, as a PT, when I'm, you know, say I'm the only person on a team and I'm working with a child and their speech is delayed. And I, I say to them, well, the parent, well, do they, do they turn their head when you call their name and they say, yes, but that's not, that's not the be all end all, right? Like, well, they, you know, do you, I'll say, do you have any concerns with their hearing? Well, no, they definitely cry when the dog barks or, you know, when a door slams, but can you just talk a minute about how there are different sounds and that a child could hear some things, but not all things. And that can affect speech. So, and in hearing, so what, like, what should parents be looking for at home in terms of their child's hearing development. Right. Yes. Yeah. So everything we say varies in um, the decibel level and the frequency or the pitch of the sound. So for example, think about it. S, SH, T, those are all voiceless sounds. They're just air coming out of our mouth. So um, oftentimes little ones with hearing um, loss, they don't hear those sounds at all because they have, they have no decibel level. They're silent sounds. So speech sounds, all speech sounds have different loudness levels for just an easy way to explain it. So um, the dog barking, fireworks, dad or mom starting up their motorcycle. Those are all very loud sounds. And, and so, yes, maybe you ask the parents and they're like, oh yeah, she, she hears that. Or maybe she, she hears when I turn the TV on because probably the TV volume is pretty loud. So we need to, when we, when we ask families, these questions, ask about the loud sounds, but then have some quieter sounds that you can ask about. Um, you know, one that, that I like to ask is when you're in the house, do they hear an airplane in the sky? Do they ever, you know, so if, especially we work in an area where there's a, an airport nearby. So that's a good one. I like to ask if, if I know that, that I've heard airplanes in that area before, maybe if the child has heard that, or if they turn the volume down on the TV and then turn it on or turn music on really softly, would baby turn to that? The other thing that gets a little tricky 
little ones learn to follow visual cues, especially if their hearing is impacted. So mom will say, yeah, when I turn the TV on, she comes running in. Well, did she see you pick up the remote? You know what yeah, I mean? Even reverse for vision. Well, he sees that toy, but is that toy singing or playing music? Mm-hmm. Do they, hear it or they see it? Right. Yeah. So if, if you're kind of informally screening that, make sure you cancel out the opposite. Absolutely. And I've, I've been told when someone is deaf or someone is blind, their other senses are higher, are more heightened. Yeah. To make up for that loss of that sense that is not there. So, um, so yeah, it's important that we really ask specific questions and then follow up questions to make sure that the child is actually hearing what the, the parent thinks they are, you know, some early indicators, um, parents can look for at home because just to back up for a second, you know, there's, there's, um, genetic loss of hearing. So if there's a family history, certainly we're going to be looking for it more because that is more common if parents are deaf or have hearing loss or someone in the family has hearing loss. Um, But there's also acquired hearing loss. And an example of acquired hearing loss would be children that um, suffer from a lot of ear infections early on. Um, They often will get tubes placed to relieve that pressure and drain that fluid from the, from the middle ear space. But, um, they can get scarring on their eardrum and a lot of scarring on the eardrum makes it less able to vibrate. So again, the, you know, that sound getting in isn't quite as clear and crisp as, as it would with a, a, an eardrum that's not scarred. So, you know, hearing loss can be acquired, you know, so don't just get that, you know, if baby passes that first screening in the hospital, you still kind of have to be looking for signs, you know, even as they grow and develop into, you know, Sometimes when I'm, when I'm in a home and I'm trying to determine whether we need a hearing evaluation or a speech evaluation, I've even just used different ringtones on my phone yeah. with my phone behind my back just to see if they recognize, you know, the, the nice chime and the blaring annoying. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. And parents have said to me before, well, I don't know why we need a speech evaluation. He can hear, he turns around when we talk. And I, sometimes I'll say, but we don't know how well he hears. And I don't know if this is a good analogy. You can tell me if not, and you know, my feelings won't be hurt, but sometimes I tell parents, have you ever been swimming underwater and someone's talking to you and you know, they're talking to you, but you might not be able to hear all the words or you might mistake one word for one that sounds like it. Yes. In my mind, that's how I imagine some kids might hear. They know their sound, they'll turn towards it, but it's not clear enough to learn to imitate it. Yes. And that is an analogy that we use frequently when describing how kiddos that get frequent ear infections, how they hear. So if there, if there's an, an identified ear infection, but also there's some kids who just carry extra fluid in that middle ear space, that's typically how they're hearing like they're underwater. So yes, they might turn their head because they know you're saying something just like I would know underwater. You're saying something to me, but I, but are you saying cat or bat or rat, you know, exactly. Yeah. Because those, right. Some of those sounds have a a lower decibel level, a higher frequency, meaning they're, they're quieter. And yeah. So the whole message gets garbled up, right? We can't. So, um, so, okay. So at home early, early signs. So infant birth to four months, they're not, um, startling to loud sounds. So that would identify, 
maybe a greater hearing loss, not one of those lesser hearing losses. Like we're just talking about with speech and sounds. And if the baby isn't really responding to your voice, you know, usually by four months, we have a baby that's cooing back at us when we're sitting face to face and we're, we're using our parent ease, which is our baby talk that babies like, which is really melodic and soothing that we usually get a smile or a coo back from them. If we're not seeing that by four months, we need to follow up with a pediatrician and ask about a hearing screening again. Between four and nine months, if baby isn't babbling yet, typically by six months of age, that's the milestone for babbling. Um, We expect a baby to be babbling by six months. And babbling is that reduplicated or repeated consonant vowel combinations. Da, 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 mum, 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 kind of like that. That's babbling. And if we're not hearing that by nine months, that's a concern. Again, not smiling um, back when an adult or another person talks to them not turning to notice toys that make noise. So maybe, you know, behind them, just like with your phone, Nicole, you turn on a toy that sings or makes some kind of noise and baby doesn't turn to look at it or try to get towards that toy. Um, And by usually by six months, we expect baby to be waving bye-bye. That's the first one of the first gestures that babies learn. And if they're not doing that, if they don't seem to understand what that means, they don't imitate it back. They just don't understand that whole like social routine with that language of saying goodbye, bye-bye. Um, that's a concern. Um, now babies around nine to between nine and 15 months of age. So typically, you know, by nine months, 12 months, we're hearing first words. So again, if baby's not babbling, if first words aren't um, uh, emerging, we're going to get concerned. If baby doesn't use their voice, so this is any vocalization to get your attention. So it might not be a mama to get mama to come, but typically even before they do that, they would just be like, eh, If you're out of the room and they want you to come in, they're going to make a noise so that you know where they are so that you will come. And if baby's not doing that, doesn't realize that they can use their voice in that way to communicate, that might indicate that they have some hearing loss. Um, And by this age, again, between nine and 15 months, we would expect baby to be responding to their name. And by responding to their name, it might just be a head turn. But again, test that parent. You ask that question. Parent says, oh, yeah, she responds to her name. Okay. She responds to her name when you're in the same room with her. How about you go in the kitchen and you're now out of sight and your voice isn't quite as loud. Now let's see if she responds to her name. So it's not just ask the question, check it off the list. There's different degrees, different um, contexts that we need to check and see if, if in all those different places of the home, if baby would respond to their name and it might just be a head turn. It might be a vocalization. Um, ah, like I'm over here, mom, come get me, you know, if baby's not mobile, or it might mean that baby actually is mobile and they crawl or walk to find where mom is calling for them. That's good. And then one more, one more age range. So between 15 and 24 months, um, this is kind of the age that we expect more, more words to be coming into their vocabulary. You know, by 18 months, the milestone is 50 words, uh, by 24 months, the, the, I'm sorry, not the milestone, the average at 18 months is 50 words. The milestone is less, less than that by 24 months. The average is 200 spoken words. So if baby's behind, not saying as many words as what we think they should, hearing should always get checked. And I, you know, every evaluation I go in for, I recommend a hearing screening. Most parents are like, no, they're fine. They can hear, but it's again, don't wait and see 
don't assume let's just get it checked. Right. The screening is free. It's, it's really, it doesn't hurt baby. You're sitting with them in the sound booth. Like it's, you know, it's really, um, it's very, it's non-invasive. Like it, you know, it's an easy thing to do. So I always encourage it. And then just other milestones aren't being met, like starting to point out body parts, um, not naming common objects in their environment, like bottle, or if they have a name for their pacifier or a favorite toy, um, they're not really interested in, in you when you sing nursery rhymes or songs, you know, at this age, they really enjoy that they do motions to songs, but if your baby or toddler, you know, cause up to two, isn't really interested in that, they might not be hearing you sing those words. They're just watching your, your face, make all these funny faces at them and do these emotions that don't make sense. And then this age, we expect them to start following some simple commands, put your diaper in the trash, put your cup in the sink, go get your shoes. And if they're not starting to do that by the age of two, that can be an indicator that they're just not hearing those words. And they don't understand if they're not hearing them, they can't understand what they mean and then follow direction. Those are really good specific guidelines. If, if a parent suspects hearing loss in most communities, where, where do they get their hearing tested? Where, or what should they do? Yes. So talking to your pediatrician is the first line of defense. So bring it up to the pediatrician. Most pediatricians offices that I'm aware of, they do have equipment to do a gross screening. And by gross screening, I mean, it's a very broad, it's just going to catch probably those kids that have a more significant hearing loss. Um, and, and if baby's really young, they might go ahead and refer you out to an audiologist. So an audiologist is a person who specializes in hearing and um, fitting hearing aids, identifying and diagnosing hearing loss in individuals of all ages. So going to an actual audiologist and um, ENT offices. So ear, nose and throat doctors, they typically employ an audiologist. So that might be a good place to go get that referral to there. And then they can do a more in-depth, um, test. And again, I mentioned going into the sound booth. So what they're going to do, because, you know, if probably most of you out there have had your hearing tested at some point, and when you're older, they might have you, you know, raise your hand when you hear the beeps, right. And younger kids, more like school age kids, they might have them drop a, a a toy in a bucket when they hear the beep. Well, baby's not able to do that yet or follow those directions. So they'll just, you know, push sounds into the sound booth, have, have sounds kind of different levels of sounds, different frequency and decibel, and they'll watch for baby's response, the turn of the head. And it's reliable. You know, that's the best way we can, we can um, test those pure tones, but then they'll do some other testing too. They'll do, um, they'll put a little probe inside a baby's ear. Again, it's, it just barely goes right inside. It doesn't hurt baby at all, but that's how they'll measure that um, ability of the eardrum to move. Is that eardrum you know, is it vibrating enough to receive that sound into the middle ear space? So they test that. And that's usually when the eardrum's not moving a lot, that tells us that there's that fluid in there pushing it out and kind of making it more stiff. Um, so that can be identified. And, and then there's other tests too. So if baby doesn't pass those tests, then they would send them on for some more, um, more in-depth testing to identify a little more um, definitively the diagnosis, the, the hearing loss, how great it is. So, so yes, I would talk to pediatrician, see if pediatrician feels like it's appropriate to send you on to an audiologist who then can do that more in-depth testing for diagnosis. Good. And many early intervention programs will include, um, an audiologist for free in some States. So, um, that's an option too. Yes. Um, we should mention too, you know, we, we both talked on or touched on milestones. And if you're not seeing those milestones be met, um, 
there's certainly different places to get information about those milestones, but we should mention, we do have a product called one, two, three, just play with me that Lacey and I created for this reason. We wanted detailed milestones in each developmental domain. We wanted parents um, and providers to have a comprehensive place to see all those mini milestones between the big ones that are on most charts or screening forms. And then we paired them with intervention or play activities for purpose um, to help progress development and for families and therapists to engage with child. So if you're interested in a comprehensive resource that can give you a list of those milestones that may be affected by vision and hearing, check us out. Um, it's always available with free shipping in the U.S. at milestonesandmiracles.com and also Amazon and some select retailers. So that's there as a resource for you to kind of track those milestones and see if if you might need a further evaluation. Um, anything else? And the course. So um, the roadblocks courses are broken down into a part one and a part two. We have... Uh, you know, the main roadblocks we feel that get in the way of natural development. You can also find those on our website and we are able to offer a pretty hefty discount code on a MedBridge membership. So you can find that under the continuing education tab on our website all of the time. Um, if you're someone who's taken the course, we'd love your feedback. It's certainly, we tried to include a lot of practical um, handouts and suggestions for how to incorporate um, screening for these roadblocks and, and supporting any um, roadblocks that are present in your daily practice. Cause we ourselves like courses that give us things we can use the very next day. So I think you'll find those there as well. Um, just don't, I joke, don't overlook vision <laughs> um, <laughs> and hearing, you know, don't forget how common they are present and how much they affect development and how um, intervening early is really, really important. And I just so, want to mention, we have uh, another podcast um, with the listening SLP, Sydney Bassard. Um, she had a conversation with me about hearing loss. She works with children that have hearing loss as an SLP. So just to kind of in conjunction with this one, if you want to just learn a little bit more about hearing loss and she talks, goes into um, some detail about treatment. Um, so if you're interested in that, look that podcast up. We can, link it. we can link the courses. We can link Sydney's podcast. Anything we talked about here, we can link in our show notes. So thanks for tuning in. Um, we hope to see you next time and remember to take some time to play today.